I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Soccer Podcast. I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Lightly. <laughs> and I'm Jim Arrowwood. Yes. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about The Road to Dune. Yes. yes. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. The Road to Dune, man. Yeah. It's been a road to Dune. It's, it's been a road to Dune, <laughs> yeah, that's, for sure. a, that's for sure. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with this book, it's not a book that fits into the storyline of Dune. It's, it's a, not canon. It's not canon. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> well, I guess the short stories are canon. But. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess they are. Because, yeah. Anyway, so what it is, it's a collection of short stories and deleted scenes from the books. And the big drawl in, I guess, is supposed to be a fleshed out version of Frank Herbert's original draft for Dune. Right. Called Spice Planet. Yes. Um, and, uh, that's the big draw in here. It also includes, like I said, deleted scenes from some of Frank's books, some of Brian and Kevin's books. And then Brian and Kevin wrote a series of short stories to kind of tease their, um, Legends of Dune books when they were coming out. And those are included here as well. Yeah. I think a lot of the short stories were written to kind of reintroduce a modern audience to Dune Mm -hmm. and to kind of, again, draw them in. Yeah. As you said. Yeah. So, yeah, very much so. You know what I found fascinating in this book as well was all the vignettes and stories about how Dune got published. Yes. Because I think that that's kind of, I always find it fascinating about how stories kind of wend their way through the publishing world to actual publication and and the rejections and, and how it got all put together and, you know, coming from a humanitarian uh you know, nonfiction article about the sand dunes in Oregon and mm-hmm. all the way to this, you know, uber novel that we have before us now. Right. So, mm-hmm. but yeah. Well, I mean, that's, um, it's kind of hard to do a, a grand summary of this cause there's separate stories. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably cover everything, um, quickly as we move forward. But, yeah. uh, so overall impressions of this yeah. book. Okay. Who yeah. wants to start? You do. Me? Yes. Uh, I don't have good impressions of this book. Okay. I got more out of the double introduction, the introduction and the prelude than I did the rest of the book. Mm. I found that um, the introduction with um, the guy who had lunch with him every day. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, I forget his name. Yeah. The, the poet. The yeah. guy that helped him write um, the Lazarus Project or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the one with Brian and, and Frank or Brian and Kevin uh, about finding the stuff and that kind of, I found that much more fascinating. So you only read the first five pages. Yeah, of the book, and then I, then I put it down. Spice Planet <laughs> was one of the hardest reads because it was everything about me was like what what it's like it, it was I, I kept equating it in my mind to um, reading like. A comic book with one of those like what if stories, or um, when Ultimate Spider Man came out, where it was a retelling, but it was modernized. And I, I kept thinking of that kind of stuff in my head, and I was like, "This is it's borderline boring because I kind of know where it's going, but it's also upsetting me because it's not what I want." So that was my problem with that. As far as the other stories, the other stories go, I mean. I, I, I did like the little the, the interjections to how how it got made. Like I thought that that was good. 
Um, and then we got into the deleted scenes, which were just kind of throwaway for me. I was like, oh, if they, if these were pertinent, more pertinent, they would have been in the book. Yeah. Um, in the books. There were a few scenes that I liked, and I hope we we will get a chance to talk about it yeah. a little bit later on. So, mm-hmm. but as far as the um the stuff from Brian and Kevin at the end, their short stories, two of them I liked, one of them I I I really did not like. Um, and then the other one uh, didn't quite fit to me in the Dune, the Dune world. So, mm. but we'll yeah. get there. We can get there. Yeah. Jim, how about you? Well, I I have to say that I uh, kind of enjoyed Spice Planet. To be honest with you, because, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. I kind of saw it more as a more of a challenge to find <laughs> uh, similarities and differences, and what was there and what was missing and and um uh what characters equated with with what other characters and see if there was any evolution there um so i i kind of enjoyed it it i mean it it wasn't by any means a, a good book you know but but for researching for the show it was kind of fun um as far as the notes and letters and things i really wasn't that impressed with that um it was interesting but it really didn't do much for me the deleted scenes there were some there that were they were kind of interesting but as you say mostly throw away uh you know they'd have been in the book if they were important um i guess as far as the short stories are concerned, well, we I guess we're going to talk about those a little later. I thought they were okay. Uh, you know, I th- for me, the centerpiece of this was Spice Planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. I think for me, uh, what I, would I, I mean, I read, I read, the, I read through it twice um, because we originally were going to record this back in September and we're now in December here. So I had to. <laughs> I had to go back and reread it again, and and that was fine. You know, I the hardest thing when I jumped into uh, Spice Planet was divorcing myself from Dune mm-hmm. because there were similar names in some cases and similar feelings. But the premise of the book is uh, just a little bit different, as I'm sure we'll get into. But I liked it as a it was an entertaining story, and I felt like there were things that were in there that kind of explained some things actually in the Dune universe for me. Um, mm. I love the supplemental notes for me again. Um, I've dabbled myself in writing, you know, publishing some of my own short stories, you know, from here to here. And, uh, to see how, uh, Dune got published and, and, and the whole process of it. Um, and the deleted scenes, what was fascinating to me is some of those deleted scenes were deleted because the publisher said, um, when we published an amazing magazine or whatever Joseph Campbell was writing or public editing for at the time said, uh, look, we don't have space. We need to cut the scene. And they never got reintroduced. And so for me, some of that doesn't say that they were deleted for a reason. It would just said, well, publication, they just never added them back in. And so some of those scenes, it would be fascinating to think about were they essential and crucial to understanding Dune? Absolutely not. And there's reasons that they, they, those were the scenes that were probably chosen. They probably were weaker scenes. But sometimes it's, it's nice to see that, mm-hmm. what, what, you know, help flesh that out. And the short stories, um, there were two I really liked and um, a couple that were pretty forgettable for me. You know, so, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm a fan of The Whisper of Caledon Seas and uh, Hunting Harkonnens I thought was pretty good and the others are kind of, yeah me yeah so um but i again would i recommend reading it if you love dune you know absolutely i think this is an essential part of the dune experience and helps bring a little bit more of um a context for dune that you just don't get really you think it's essential well uh it helps you if you really want to if you call yourself a dune dune like you know lover of dune and you really want to get into all the nuances it's like going behind the scenes to how Star Wars was made or how they made okay. Star Trek. Um, the stuff's fascinating to see how it went from one one thing to the other, how it started out as a, as we said earlier, a nonfiction uh, news article that he was trying to pitch all the way to this, you know, epic novel that is considered one of the greatest science fiction novels ever. 
Yeah. Okay. So that's just All my right. thoughts. But take it or leave it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go ahead and jump into a little bit deeper to each section of this. Uh, let's start with uh, Spice Planet. Give me some spice, David. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. let's kind of go over some of the big differences here. I mean, I mean, we got to see a little bit more of um, the Jesse character kind of getting appointed the planet and kind of like the the behind the scenes to that the as, bet yeah the bet that went on and how you know it wasn't as much a direct assault of him as much as it was like he was just pitted you know with bad um odds right you know uh so we got to see a little bit more of that um big differences is the jesse character doesn't die you know, and the, there's no messiah complex. Type well, he thing. does die and resurrect. Well, because of the the well, the room or whatever, right? In the uh, underground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's no like messiah like complex. Um, the character of Paul, which I can't really pronounce his name, Baki, whatever it was, yeah. um, isn't really as big of a player as Paul was. He's much younger as well. Yeah. Um, so he's like 13, maybe. Paul is like 13 or something. This character's like eight. Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure he's eight. Yeah. So, all right. So, thoughts on, on Spice World. Uh, let's let's start with you, Jim. Um, some of the things you like, some of the differences you really picked up on. Well, the it seemed that the origin of the Spice or where the Spice was actually made... Um, underground by plants or something like that that was kind of interesting uh one of the plot points that that or one of the themes that i picked up on was it seemed as though the emperor was playing both sides against the middle okay so he's trying to bring link him in to see if he can produce more, and if he can't produce more, out he goes, and Hoskanner comes back in. Uh, you know, it was, as far as the Emperor was concerned, it was a win-win situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, the Emperor was under a lot of pressure to uh, start letting others participate in this, and if, if Lincoln had lost uh, the bet, he would have, uh, the emperor would have been able to say, see, nobody else can do this. Right, right. So, you know, um, uh, I thought Barry, the son, was completely uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Gurney and Yui were kind of strange. And I thought also that um, Liet Kynes was uh Divided into two characters, I kind of felt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mean the the head of the uh, spice, whoever the spice colonies colonists were, and then also yeah. the scientist. Yeah. 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 You know, I wanted I wanted and, to jump back just a little bit to something you said, Jim, and then I know you probably have more to share as well. You talked about okay. the relationship between the um, the plants and the worms. They, they have this kind of symbiotic relationship, or or maybe our kind of adult versions are male, female, or however they kind of work with that. I felt like you never really get to my satisfaction uh, in Dune really where the spice comes from. We know the worms produce it or are somehow mm-hmm. related to it, but I felt like this was an interesting understanding or look at Dune because... Um, at, you know, toward the end, the very end, the, the worms had never left Dune. You know, Lune, Dune gets scorched by the Bene Gesserit or the mother, the Honor Madres, right? And But the worms are still there. They're just way underneath. And this kind of explains that sort of cavern system that existed in Dune. Now, again, this isn't canon, right? right. But it, it gives a little bit of insight as to maybe what was going through Frank Herbert's mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And insight insight would be that uh the spice existed was what was important not how or why it existed yeah right definitely definitely right it, it's yeah. very much more a um 
it's a drug story. Well, it is. Yeah. I mean, the emperor's an addict, right? Yeah. And this is what this is ultimately what you know pushes him right. more than anything well, else. Um, the idea that the whole galaxy is things. addicted. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's much more of a story of addiction. And even though the addiction was certainly a part of Dune, it, this this story really pushed it out into the front. Yeah, and even in Dune, they talk as much as they talk about how addicted you are to, to the spice. There's a lot of emphasis on the addiction is the only bad part of the spice. You know what I mean? Um, right. And it's not, I don't know, it doesn't seem to make, doesn't seem to bring out the addict in people as much as it does in the story. So. Well, yeah, it didn't seem to be, it didn't seem to be uh, an addiction that was an illness. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim, did you have more to say? I'm sorry, we tried to jump um, hijacked. Yeah. Well, if I did, I sure don't remember. No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought well, and and I thought it was kind of interesting, I guess, also about the the way the planets were named. Oh, Catalan yeah. was Caladan and it, but but of course now Kaitane was called Renaissance. Yeah. yeah. Renaissance. Okay. Which Makes me think of the uniforms that the Sardaukar wore in um, in the miniseries. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so, I can see that. There were a lot. There were a lot of things that I liked about Spice Planet. I love the um, I love the idea of sand, some sand eddies or sand, uh, you know, whirlpools. I thought that that was mm. kind of cool. That whole concept. Man, we get to see Jesse Lincoln pull a pull a Leto Atreides move. I mean, Leto the second when he runs insanely fast underground and then mm-hmm. has his almost superhero. So you kind of see the early origins of that, right? And so I thought that that was really cool, right? Um, and and really powerful and really entertaining for me. Um, man, I loved the betrayal of poor Yui can't get a break right he's he's always the villain always the guy that's betraying you know betraying the the Atreides and it's just are the Lincolns in this case and you know he just can't get a break at least he kind of redeems himself that whole scene of them blowing up the ship and them escaping man I was on the edge of my seat I thought that that was incredibly well written. It had me hooked. I wanted to see what happened next. I wanted to see Jesse's reaction, um, and I just wanted to see the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And and the death of the Baron, totally didn't see it coming. What do you think of the Baron and the uh, Emperor kind of like the switch? The, yeah, yeah. The switch to the Harskinen and the Emperor were kind of Harskinen. Yeah, yeah switched. To, he was all skinny and kind of like powerful. And, and the, the emperor, emperor was, was like, the big, Whoa. yeah, the big, big lumbering. He character. was Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, got basically. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ho, 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 spice. <laughs> yeah. 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 What did I think about it? You know, it didn't bother me, but um, I, I mean, the emperor was still a dick. Right. I'm sorry. Did I say that? I, I should have said that this is a fam- sort of family show, but he was. He was a jerk. He, uh, I, yeah. I, 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 I hate, I've always hated the emperor. Mm-hmm. There's been very little redemption in any of the emperors we've had, except for right. Paul, if you consider Paul an emperor. It, I do. It didn't bother me at all. Um, I just thought it was interesting, the reversal that kind of went into that. and um, Like, I guess the transfer of, ev- of like, the, that personification of evil to the, to the Baron. Um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. In the, in the final product. Yeah. Um, how about any uh, other thoughts, Jim? I thought the emperor was, uh, he didn't impress me at all, but again, like you said, Scott, I didn't care for the emperors, uh, at all anyway, because I mean, especially Shaddam, he was just kind of a doof. Yeah. You know, (laughs) he was a prick. The, the (laughs) power, the power behind Shaddam was Fenring. Right. Yeah. Fenring made Shaddam, and this Bowers character that I think is supposed to be Fenring in the story, he 
he basically got himself killed. Yeah, he was an he was a negotiator kind of. Yeah, he, he, unimpressive to me. He uh, was a tool. He was. Yeah. He was a tool. <laughs> <laughs> you know the the other the other part that I wanted to mention since we're talking about you know that whole death scene and everything the negotiation at the end of them threatening to blow up all the spice mm-hmm. I thought was ingenious it was great yeah. I loved I loved the way that played out um, this whole power this whole power control thing mm-hmm. was you know what does he have to lose just blow up the spice right. Um, How do you feel about a happy ending at the end? Um, I guess we don't get happy endings really until the very end of Dune. If you call that a happy ending, you know, it's, <laughs> it's it. Um, you know, that didn't bother me. Didn't bother me. I mean, this was meant to be kind of a standalone thing. It didn't. Yeah. It wasn't ever meant to be a, a trilogy of sorts. And um, so I, I don't really that that didn't bother me. I didn't. I wasn't bothered by the ending. It was just. It was just different. It was yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't bothered by it much either. It really made to me fit in the one introduction. They re- they they were saying how this was kind of written in the idea that it would be one of the the kind of the length and the type of science fiction novels that were popular at the time, and not the mm-hmm. large epic thing that Frank wound up, wound up writing. It's funny you say that. I was thinking as I read it that this reminded me like of. 2250 AD by Andre Norton. It, you know, these little, I have it on the shelf. Um, can you pull the, uh, from behind you, the Demolished Man by Al? Maybe you can. Yeah, right okay, there. Oh, you can't. Yeah, we're good. Anyways, these novels, these short, thin novels that you used to be able to pick up at, you know, for like yeah. 20 cents off the rack and, you know, that you would get back in the 60s when I was a teenager. And uh, I'm just kidding. I wasn't a teenager in the 60s. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, um, but but you pick these up and they they're they're really easy to read and they're they're short and that's mm-hmm. what this that's what this really feels like that's one of these novelizations taking you along for the ride right yeah, yeah. they call that pulp fiction didn't yeah, they? yeah you call it pulp fiction because put it on pulp even the Empire Strikes Back you got yeah there. But this is a comic book adaptation oh yeah okay yeah, yeah. well that's about mm-hmm. the size in my mind that's the size yeah they were a little bit thinner been. than that that's why yeah. I was pulling whoa. Hey. But you know these books, you know they ended up being like 150 pages, not very long at all. So. Yeah. But. And usually pretty good. Yeah, I've always I've enjoyed the ones I picked up. You know, if Dune didn't exist and he, and this Spice Planet would have gone out, it would have made a good one of these books. Probably not great, but it would have been like I mean it would have been what I expected if I would pick it up. It wouldn't have, it, it wouldn't have been the classic that we have today. Right. Absolutely right. Not. It would have just been another book. In the line of, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction. So, what do you think of the Fremen in this book? I mean, the non-existent. Well, the, in this in this case, the Fremen are the uh, the convicts that live there. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the equivalent. If we're talking about the equivalent, not the Fremen, the religious group, the people that honor, but the people that are kind of slaves on the planet, because they're the basically the natives. I really liked. Uh, the idea of like the meaning of Freeman, of, well, I guess yeah, Freeman Freeman, and more in this one, and he, how he the character was like I forget what his name is, who was explaining it was just like I'm a free I'm a free man like I'm here I'm working to leave but I'm no longer a prisoner and and I think my favorite part of that conversation is they were like well what did you do and he said well my my records and my crime were all wiped clean, so technically I didn't do anything. I know. It's pretty <laughs> so awesome. I thought that was I thought that was a great answer for like I didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Jim, what what do you think about the uh the free man? <laughs> well, uh, as far as I was concerned, they were kind of just there. Yeah. You know, and again they were they were there to do the do the stuff that everybody else didn't want to do pretty much. Yeah. They didn't impress me as Fremen at all. So, you know, I think the, the their leader, the guy that eventually gets killed, I, I kind of liked him as a character. And the other thing that I kind of liked from them is they kept bringing the duplicitous agents out. You know, the people that were striving to portray the Lincoln household. And these became catalysts for people that could infiltrate um, 
and even that Yui kind of you know fell in with as far as working for the Har- the um what do you call them the Har- the Huskiners, Huskiners. Yeah, the Huskiners. Yeah. So well, see now that that's just it. I saw that more that they were um, Huskiner sympathizers because the Lincolns were so unsuccessful in the beginning, and it was like you know get these guys out of here and bring the ones back that that are successful. Why are we dealing with these people that can't do anything? Right. That, that is, that's how I kind of felt about it. Yeah. I, Go ahead. I was waiting for Leto to have, or no, Jesse to have more of a, uh, well, if you're free, you're free, and offering more passage off type stuff. Right. Do the more, what I thought was like a Leto thing, kind of tradies yeah. thing to do. Yeah. But <laughs> the um, the uh, what did you think of Dorothy Mapes? Or Jessica. You see her in action as a house leader. Mm-hmm. and uh, Maybe more so than you do in Dune. Yeah, exactly. You see her in control of a lot more. Like in Dune, they kind of talk about her in the background of being like supporting and doing all this stuff behind the scenes. In this, she's like front and center, like very obvious, the financial leader of the house. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. responsible for... Jesse, a lot of Jesse's um, political success is because of her. Because of her, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. So, so Jim, yeah, same thing. She was, uh, she was there to keep things straightened out and and running correctly and remind everybody what they're what they should be doing. You know, one of my favorite scenes with her has to be when the crowd is like rioting outside the palace and she goes to the side door and takes a group of them in to see the garden that she's allowed to kind of desiccate because they think that they're hoarding water. And just the way she handled that situation, that really, one of the events that really showed her leadership skills. Mm -hmm. Which is total opposite of Jessica who wanted the the room saved as as a memorial or whatever. Right. Totally different... Yeah. Uh, motivation. You definitely see here um, that the Lincoln household strives to make more of a connection with the common people than you do see the Atreides doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Atreides are respected for very similar reasons, but the Lincolns are active. Yeah. A lot more active on that level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about the way they handle the sandworms? <laughs> blow them up. Yeah. Like, not not really. They don't blow them up. They shock them, and they don't kill them. They they you know those those depths charge. It goes down and shocks each ring of the worm to kind of knock it out for a little bit, so they can harvest the spice. But yeah. they don't kill the worm, right? And they aren't always called for just walking, right? Like it's like a drum sand or something. Yeah, that calls it. Yeah, yeah. you mean oh, that was, no thumper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting, the different kind of sand things. It's almost like the different kind of snow that the Eskimos were right. to. Yeah, yeah. Kind of idea. I wonder if he was kind of going on the same. I'm sure. It makes sense. Thing. Yeah. It makes sense you would have that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we've covered a lot of Spice Planet. Uh, any final yeah. thoughts from either of you? Posh. Uh, I, kind of, I, I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it? Yeah. yeah, I thought, uh, you know what? I thought it was good. There was a lot I liked, and I don't regret reading it twice. Okay. Yeah, it was All right. good. It was good. All right. So I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't read, like, there's some novels that, we, that we've done that I wouldn't read twice, but only because of length. Yeah. But, you know, 150 page books, not that much. It isn't no. hard. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I didn't care for it, but at the same time, I can't say it was bad. It was just, I just didn't care for it because. Of the running against the grain type of thing. It'd probably be a lot easier to read Spice Planet and then read Dune. And, mm-hmm. and to see, to watch, like to read the evolution. But to go backwards mm-hmm. was, I just, I didn't care. Was it better than Dune Messiah? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Surprisingly. <laughs> All right. Well said. All right. So let's move on to some of the articles and deleted scenes. I think we kind of gave our opinions on the articles already 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. for me, the again, to see the progression from a news article about how they've learned to control the dunes in Oregon and, you know, with this certain type of seagrass from England, you know, was all kind of fascinating to me and to learn that this eventually gets turned into Spice World, which eventually gets turned into Dune in the conversations that ensued and how he would and how he wrote it. And how he, you know, marketed around into, I guess, was it Amazing Stories? Do I have the right magazine? I don't remember the name of the magazine. I think it may have been Amazing. I forget who Joseph. Sounds right. I, yeah, jo- Joseph Campbell. I forget who he wrote wrote for. But, um, you know, Joseph Campbell, of course, hero with a thousand faces guy, you know, the, uh, you know, which is kind of the catalyst for Lucas mm-hmm. is kind of um, in his work. It was just a fascinating journey, fascinating look at how it you know went from there and then and how a uh, a car a car manual manufacturer is a guy is <laughs> yeah. a pe- the people that actually published dune the first time I thought that was really interesting uh, that was fascinating i mean you would think like you know del rey or some one of the other big houses would have done it but nope the only person to give it a chance was a car manufacturer probably made a killing oh i'm sure he yeah, did chilton <laughs> yeah chilton yeah how about you jim thoughts on the articles um, yeah, not really. I, I, as I said, I thought they were interesting, but they didn't make a huge impression. Yeah. I am in the middle in between. I enjoyed reading them. Um, however, to me, I, I felt this all could have been, and hopefully is covered in Dreamer of Dune in a more uh, digestible fashion. Uh, uh, maybe not, maybe you don't have to read the whole everything as much as it's just summarized and kind of leading you through the steps a little bit quicker mm. so that was uh that was my thoughts on just that a little else. note chilton still publishes really? auto repair manuals really <laughs> so yeah. oh heck yeah yeah uh let's go on to deleted scenes um i don't have anything to add here uh i read them but i didn't really commit them to memory <laughs> it was one of those things where it was just kind of like reading them to get through them. Not that they were bad. It's just, I don't know. It just, whenever I would start one, I'd have to be like, Oh, were they, how was, what was going on here? Well, I just, I felt really disconnected from the characters. So it was hard for me to kind of emote or kind of feel the same weight that I would have, if it would have been in the book. Um, and I didn't like Paul killing Moadib. Uh, I mean, I know it was for food, but I like the fact that he sees it and is more inspired by it rather than sees it and uh, kills it so easily. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Jim, how about you? Um, I I just it just seemed like a a collection of of stuff that was thrown out for one reason or another. Uh, you know it. As uh, Davis said, with the with the Moadibs, the the kangaroo mice, who needs it? You know, we didn't really need that. Um, you know, and uh, just little bits and pieces here and there, actually. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite deleted scenes was the uh, the part where. Um, they are in, is it Liet Kynes, uh building? And and they have to escape kind of out the back door. And they run into the Thopters and they run into the Fremen, the Frem kits and all that. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was, that was fun. That there was something about that that really uh, drew me in. It was probably the favorite thing. Like when I read, when I read it again, I find my, found myself... First of all, I was expecting to see it in Spice World because I'd forgotten where it actually appeared. And then I was waiting to see it in the deleted scenes. And then when we got to, I thought it was kind of cool to kind of see that progression. And, and then I think there were like two alternate ways that they portrayed that, that I thought was, that I, I liked it. It was cool. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't. I just, I just didn't feel any attachment to him. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I, Maybe it was my attitude while reading the book. After, because after being done Spice Planet, I was kind of your attitude sucked. Yeah, 
It did. <laughs> it did. I'm sorry. It did. It did. So it, it started to improve towards the end. I mean, I guess because I enjoyed some of that stuff. Yeah. So little no uh-huh. note, Chilton Books only published the first Dune novel. Oh, really? And uh, and published another fiction book of it, um, one by James H. Smits, and each was nominated for Hugo for Best Novel in its respective year. Dune won the, world, won the award, but the only one published by Chilton was, was uh, Dune. Really? Yeah. <laughs> by the way, you can buy it for about $5,000, first edition. On eBay? Really? Yeah. Didn't uh, Brian tell us that there's a first edition out there somewhere with a note to him? Right. From his dad? Yeah. I don't yeah. know how he he's, he lost it somewhere. So. Yeah, lent it to a friend or something. Yeah, his friend didn't give it back. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, let's go to the short stories. I think this is, for me, this is where this collection shines. Oh, the short story. I know. I'm now sorry. who has the bad attitude? <laughs> uh Okay, so Jim, he's quiet there. He's yeah. not saying anything. He doesn't want to stick his foot in his mouth. Jim, why don't you lead this? Uh, lead this <laughs> off. Guys, lead this. <laughs> All right. Well, um, there were uh, four, if I understand it correctly, four short stories included in the in the hard copy that you had, right? Right. Okay, and then in the electronic copy that I bought from Amazon, there were five short stories. Um. And the first one is called A Whisper of Caladan Seas, in which um, some trapped uh, warriors apparently drown in a in a cave on Arrakis. Yeah, they're actually, my understanding is they're actually trapped below the castle, or they're, they're actually in the city somewhere and have been trapped in the city somewhere and uh yeah there's a cave-in that they've been put there that they cannot get out of mm-hmm. and um and they drown they, they, drown. Yeah, they dream they get, about they get swimming. a story yeah. about caldan and yeah. then when their bodies are found they drowned yeah they drowned with salt water yeah yeah so and uh, you know this really we they kevin j anderson especially and, and brian herbert explore the junglers right mm-hmm. and we get to see a lot of them especially in the uh the prequel books right before dune um, you get mm-hmm. to see the power of them. And here, you get to see another jungler in action. Yeah. Like, kind of like hypnotic story. Yeah. Making, making the body believe. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, this one I, I didn't I didn't care for. Uh, I guess I liked it. If it would have been a short story on its own, I think I would have liked it a lot more. I really like the... I like, I like the kind of like horror aspect of finding them with being drowned. It reminds me of, I don't know, some sort of Halloween short story type thing. Um, as far as fitting into the Dune universe, I just, that part bugged me. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I get that mysticism, if it fits into it, even though it's a jungle or convincing their bodies or whatever, but uh, it just didn't fit for me. Yeah. Jim? I I, I I agree. It it was uh, yeah, more like a horror story of something you tell around a campfire. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, you got my heart's just breaking here, just a little <laughs> bit. You see, this was the first story that 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 the Brian Herbert and Kim J. Anderson wrote to reintroduce the world to Dude, and what they were doing is bringing this story and placing it in the middle of the battle. Like that took Jessica and took Paul out of the city. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the battle, and so you see all the, the the loyalists to the Atreides. You know, getting slaughtered here in this in this place, and there's references to characters that we knew and love, um, you know, like Journey Hallett and all them are being referenced here, um, and we're being thrown all these names that people haven't hadn't touched for a while because it had been 15 years since anything new from Dune had been published, and so. What they're for me, what they did here was a this was a this was in a sense a love letter. So while it was horrific, the cave in was horrific, and the and the manner in which they died, the way they painted the, the Sea of Caledon in the story, the way they talked and the flashbacks that gave some insight into the battle and into this you know event that everyone was very familiar with because Dune was so well loved, it was it was strategic on their part. And so for me, I looked at less less horrific and more for me as a love letter to the fans. 
okay. and letting them know, hey, look, this is this is this is set. This is kind of the story. This is kind of the way the writing's going to go. But here's events that you know, giving them a reference point for it. Right. I will say I didn't hate this one as much as it was just kind of neutral for me, um, yeah. because there is one that I hated. Okay. I just want to make that clear. It's probably the one I love too. The, so. Yeah, probably. Oh, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, moving on, going to the next one, hunting sure. Harkonnens. Ulf Harkonnen and his wife, along with Piers Harkonnen, parents and brother of Xavier Harkonnen, are traveling in a small ship when they are attacked and pursued by Agamemnon and several Cymex. Uh, the small ship is destroyed and the parents are killed, but Piers manages to escape in a pod and makes it to the surface of Caladan, he is chased for a very long time by Cymex and is almost killed several times, but some primitive Caledonians, Caledonians, I don't know, help him help rescue him. <laughs> they also hate the machines and boil one of the Cymex mines alive when captured. Eventually, all of the Cymex are destroyed and Agamemnon gives up and leaves to report to Omnius. Piers stays with the people that rescued him and his brother becomes the head of the Harkonnen household. The long lost brother. I like this story. This story was this idea. Number one, for me, it brings back in the Cymex. We haven't talked about the Cymex in a heck of a long time, <laughs> right? I mean, since the uh, the first three books we did. So it was neat to see the Cymex in and to see them pursuing the Harkonnens and um, or the Harkonnens and and then them kind of this whole cat and mouse game across landscape. Him running into this primitive village. Are those primitive, primitive people apparently, and, and then the boiling of the Cymex and how they did all that was just for me was was pretty cool. Okay, I, I, mm. I, I like this story. Jim, what did you think? It uh, as I read it, I couldn't help but think of um, an episode of Star Trek original series. Okay. Where they're chasing each other through the mountains, and uh, I can't. I wish I could remember it, but it it read to me a lot like a like a Trek story. Okay. Oh, so you liked it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I thought it was okay. Yeah. Okay. I hated it. This is the one that I. Are hated. you serious? I, I knew it. Hated this I, story. Get out. So get much. out now. <laughs> get out. Hater. No, hater. <laughs> Let's talk about the things that I liked. I okay. liked seeing the Cymax. Okay. I liked that a primitive culture was able to outmaneuver them, and they were familiar with enough with attacks that they were like extremely confident. I thought the boiling of the brain was really cool, oh. and the eating of the brain, and like how they were fried like, brain, very very primal. You know, this was really they were really zombies. We didn't know that, but they were really zombies. They were eating brains. Zomb- yeah. yeah, they are. Oh my gosh! Oh no! It's zombies <laughs> in the Dune universe. Woohoo! We know it. Walking Dead of the Dune universe, right here, baby. Walking Dune. Walking Dune. <laughs> All right, here's why I didn't like it. Okay. Okay? One of the magical things about the prequels is the whole idea of the Harkonnen fall into uh, evil. Mm-hmm. And that Xavier is so good and so pure, and, you know, Vorian starts off bad but becomes good, and he's still the, like, more crazy of them. But the Harkonnen, because of the sacrifice that Xavier makes, the Harkonnens are shunned and kind of looked down upon, and they become this evil family. This story makes it seem like evil was always in their DNA. The father is atypical Harkonnen down the line. Any, If you would have said any other family of Harkonnen and said this is a Harkonnen, post the fall of Xavier, I would have been like, that's exactly how I would imagine a Harkonnen family would be like. And that really, really bothered me because I liked the idea of them not being so evil. I mean, granted, he's not evil, evil, but it's just like, he's very mean. Um, he's not, he's not. What would you not, expect? Leave it to Beaver? Well, no, I mean, but look at the Tantors, <laughs> you know, Xavier, Xavier's family. I mean, they were good, but they weren't like angels. But they are angels compared to the Harkonnens in this story. I mean, they even talk about how the father feels like they're too goody two shoes, um, and that and that that bugged me a lot. Because but the son represented more what we knew of 
the Harkonnens before the fall. Right. Because he, yeah. he has this genteel spirit, this, this this idea that, you know, he's not he's not his father's son. And he wants to be a poet and yeah, he's not yeah. his he's not his father. And I think part a of musician. the musician. Yeah, yeah. Part of the reason I think that Play he's, a lute. Yeah. Sorry, you aren't going to get rid of it, Jim. <laughs> he's he's basically Jim. Uh, yeah, yeah. Lute playing, poet, got it. Uh, the contrast <laughs> between the two characters made it seem even worse. So, right off the bat, that bugged me. Cymex, cool. Harkonnen family, not cool. Because I was like, oh, we get to see how they died. Like, I was expecting more like Seven of Nine-ish kind of a story. Um, you know, and it wasn't that at all. What's his face falls to the falls to Caldan. That's fine. How much time passes between young child Xavier to Butler and Jad? Fifty some years? Something like that. Fifty some years? And then how much time from Butler and Jihad till Vorians on Caladan with the army? Maybe another forty some years, maybe less. So we're talking 90 years from this event and the people on Caladan are completely civilized, established um, culture that fits perfectly within the empire. Within 90 years of this caveman society. That just didn't seem... I just I was like, that's not enough time. There's not enough time to go from this like caveman culture that doesn't speak Gaelic... That, you know, it, and, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe they got jump-started because, you know, he survives, and he's there, and he kind of teaches them we're modern technology. On, we're only in one part of the world, right? But why, I mean, I guess I guess you're right, okay, we're only in one part of the world, but you, I kind of assumed this is the state of the planet, yeah. you know? And so that that part really, I mean, the, the, the story is good. The connections to Dune are where I go a falter. So the Harkonnens oh. being too evil and uh, the Caladans being too primitive to me. Mm. I mean, they should have been a hundred years past where they were at this point in order for them to be where they are a hundred years later when Vorian, because Vorian gets there and it's not like, oh, we just discovered these people. It's like they're an established part, small, but an established part of the, of the, um, what do you call them? The worlds, the right. good, good guy worlds. Right. Right. So that's why I didn't like this. Mm. Maybe it's right. been too, maybe it's been too long since I read the original the, the early <laughs> novels that I was able to distance myself from that. You weren't as passionate, no, no, not as, as passionate as, as I am. Yes. The anger let it yes. flow through you. Yes, well, it's been <laughs> you know it's been two years. <laughs> yeah, since we've read those. So that's that's yeah. like. That's like twelve years, dog years, chair dog oh. years, chair dog years, twelve chair dog years. <laughs> so anyway, I'm looking at the tally here, and Scott likes whispers, and David and I did not. Uh, Scott and I liked hunting. David did not. So David is on the definitely downside of this, and we move Seems on to, to whipping mech. Xavier's younger adopted brother desperately wants to get into the fight against the thinking machines. A Ginas warrior, Nore, lets him fight with Chirox. He is almost killed, but thinks he sees compassion in the robot's demeanor. Xavier is relieved that his brother isn't killed and tells him that he may get his chance to fight soon enough. I liked this glimpse in. I didn't think it was great, but I liked this glimpse in too. I like the interaction between, um, is, is, is it Joel Norette at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the interaction between Joel and um, the younger brother and that he's got Chirox with him. I, I always kind of like Chirox and I, and I liked, you know, Tor, you know, Chirox chooses not to kill him because I was waiting for some sort of deus ex machina, pun intended, for um, him to stop. <laughs> I roll. Uh, for him to stop the machine at the last second and I thought when the big flash happened it was like uh, Xavier had had shot the brother um, but I really liked that the machine decided not to kill him and was kind of it showed that the machine was aware the whole time of the limitations of the person coming at him and that it wasn't a real fight and all this stuff and I like 
uh, the machine says something back to him, and I can't even remember the quote, but uh, it shows compassion, and then the machines like humans could show compassion too. And it's kind of like, even though it knows it's a machine and it knows like it's not part of the other machines, it still is like, we're not all bad. Right, right. Okay. So, any other thoughts? I don't want to monopolize. Yeah. What do you think of this story, Jim? Uh, it was it was all right. I didn't. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I don't really have any other thoughts beyond that. It was a nice vignette back into the world of the fighting mechs, but uh, yeah, not wasn't my favorite. It wasn't special. Yeah, it wasn't like hunt, hunting Harkonnens. <laughs> Or the whispers of Kalanasi. <laughs> so where am I putting you, Scott, on the like or dislike? Uh, medium. Can I get? Can I neutral? Be neutral. Neutral. Okay, I'll add neutral. <laughs> I'm, I'm neutral on whispers. Yeah, I guess but I would I'm, have. I'm, to I don't like Harkins. neutral. Okay. Oh, now I got to redo everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the faces of a martyr. Where's Roland when you need him? All right. Okay. Uh, Faces of a Martyr, Re- Martyr, Wrecker Van, a, a Thelaxu flesh merchant is chased off of a planet and narrowly escapes. He has the DNA of Serena Butler. He is going to turn himself over to Omnius. Vorian witnesses a likeness of Xavier being burned on Seleucia. Uh, Van offers the DNA to Erasmus. He wants to see Omnius, Iblis, uh, I don't know what that is, uh, Iblis Window... Talks to Vorian and warns him to keep quiet about Xavier. Uh, she is putting Iblis out as a martyr to fuel the jihad. Vorian is outraged and wants nothing to do with it. Erasmus is not happy with Serena's clone and is also not happy with Van, who is going to become the object of Erasmus's experiments. Um, Vor knows how Xavier sacrificed himself. So it wouldn't be discovered how Iblis used the jihad for his own gain. He also knows about Serena's sacrifice. He goes into battle knowing that no one will know who the true martyrs are. You want me to go first? Yeah, I went first last two times. It was okay. Well, you know, here's the thing. I, it was a nice story, but it, if you're going to bring Serena Butler back, I want Serena Butler back. I don't want someone that's kind of like Serena Butler. Guess who's back? Yeah, Serena's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this story was maybe as good as your singing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it just, it, it's not for me. You know, of the stories that we just got done talking about, um, this one was probably lower than Whipping Mac for me. Yeah, I did not like, I did not like Faces of a Martyr. It just, I mean, it was great to revisit Serena, it, it, so, sort of. It was great to see the different characters that we've loved, but the story didn't do much for me. There, go, your turn. Or Jim. 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 Okay, I liked it. Um, and the reason I liked it is because I already knew uh, that all this was going to happen, and it kind of focused in a little more on, on some things. Um. I, ju- I just thought it was, uh, yeah, a vignette into a story that I already knew with a little more detail. Go ahead. My favorite one of all four of them. <laughs> Are you serious? This is You know why this is my favorite one of Go all ahead. four? Go ahead. I'm listening. Because this is a deleted scene worth my time. Worth my time, Scott. Scott's making making hand motions over here. No, no, go ahead. Prove it to me. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Why is it worth your time? Look, it's worth my time because it shows things that they hint at and that they you, they skip over due to time in um, whatever the last one is. Yeah, Butler and Jihad. Butler and Jihad is the first one. Yeah, okay. Right. Machine Crusade. Battlecorn. Battlecorn. Battle yeah. Battlecorn. Yeah. It jumps over, and it's, so you get. Like I liked experiencing Vorian's uh, distaste, like his down to earth, what he was going through right after Xavier died, and then him kind of coming to terms with, uh, you know, going along with the 
what what was happening with the politics um and how, how he's kind of like you know do this thing whatever i'm just not going to be around i'm going to go out to the front lines i liked uh seeing uh erasmus uh and the serena clone and i liked him realizing he spends however many years three years or whatever waiting for the serena and then she pops out and then he's like it finally in his brain in his side his mechanical brain he's like oh wait she's not serena and no matter what we do what this other guy does she'll never be serena because she doesn't have all of serena's memories i think that's an important like step for erasmus in in learning about humans i mean they're not like machines where you just pop in the memory and they're the exact same thing as the other one was now how were the memories i forget how were the memories retrieved in serena they weren't they 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 put her in like a learning thing and they kind of gave her they kind of fed her real memories so it was different it was different than duncan and false yeah it was she wasn't a goal she was a clone so not genetic memory no no and that's why she was very subservient because she had been programmed to be subservient uh so I really, I really liked that aspect, and then uh, subsequently him. I mean, in the in the, in the, the battle coring, we find what's his face hooked up to machines or whatever, and like basically been tortured forever. Uh, and I like kind of seeing that he wasn't just immediately tortured. They kind of the machines gave him a chance, but at the same time, he really never had a chance. Yeah, mm. yeah. So anyway, my favorite one. Uh, still not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, probably and the then one. The... Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. No, I was gonna say the one I uh, liked the best was Sea Child. The, yeah. one, the one I didn't read. The one we didn't read. Because <laughs> it wasn't yeah. in our book. All no, right. go ahead, Jim. Uh, tell me about the story. Okay, Sea Child, A Tale of Dune. Corey Straw, a Benny Gesserit whose daughter was taking taken from her, as was the norm for the Benny Gesserit, found a Phibian who had been marked by his people and abandoned a Phibian child. She took care of the baby, being careful to hide it from the honored maters, and nurtured it as her own. One day, the honored maters found the baby and used it as a bargaining chip to try to get information from Cory Straw on the whereabouts of Chapter House. She refused to tell them, and the honored mater took the little Phibian to the sea and turned it loose. But, to everyone's surprise, the other Phibians accepted the child and took over its care. I did read this story. It was in my book. It wasn't in my book. It was good. Okay. I like this story. Jim, how about you? It was, um, aww. It was way too exactly. fluffy and nice. And <laughs> it was. And then, then uh, at the end, then at the end, when they kind, of, when it kind of comes back after all this time. Yeah, yeah. If I remember I, correctly, this one was written by Frank. This is like the other the other three or the other four were Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, and this was a Frank Herbert story, according uh, to Wiki. That's how I found out about it. I, you know, I've gotten so used to reading Dune, where nobody is ever happy, nobody is ever, <laughs> you know, that that this little happy ending thing just didn't fit the universe for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, was, so, you, was, so, you, so you don't like the happy ending at the end of Whispers of Calhoun and Sea? Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, <laughs> they are all no, dead. This, yeah, no, it just it just seemed like too much fluff. Yeah. All right. Well, so there, there you have it. Those are the short stories. So was it written by him? No, I'm looking. I don't, I don't see it. So, Sea Child, a short story by Brian Herbert and Kevin Jamison. Okay. I was yeah. wrong. Yeah. One of them. I thought one. I thought one of them was written. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Well, Spice Planet was. Yeah. So Spice Planet. <laughs> Spice Planet. Was... It's not really a short story, but okay. So okay. final rating. Let's let's rate this book. Huh? Uh, David, why don't you go first? I want to hear your awesome movie rating for this. <laughs> okay. Movie. I am going to rate this one out of five. Uh, In fact, I probably won't even keep the book. That is awful. Yeah. Awful. I can't say, like, I'm rating it one out of five because I just didn't enjoy it. I'm not, 
You said you recommend you would recommend it to anyone who really loves Dune. That's why you were surprised. That's why you were surprised when I said that. Yeah, I was. I was. It's just, and I debated whether or not it was a two out of five, but I gotta go with my heart on this one. One out of five because I wouldn't even keep it just because it's Dune. It'd be helpful if you had a heart. Uh, that's, that's, the pro- that's half the problem. <laughs> well, the good thing this holiday season it can grow how many sizes? <laughs> yeah, four to ten times yeah, something yeah. like that. But. Oh man, Jim. How about you? Uh, where do you where do you rank this sucker? Okay, you're gonna put me on the spot here. Um, I'm giving it a two point five, and the reason <laughs> for that is is because I found it interesting, but it is not something that I would recommend uh, to anyone except a hardcore Dune reader. Yeah. I couldn't even. I couldn't I, even recommend it to hardcore. I I I rated it a four out of five. Oh, <laughs> four out of five, and thankfully, good. Thankfully, Goodreads actually agrees with me. But um, I, uh, oh, what do they know? Because I, I'm like, I'm like in the minority here. <laughs> this book for me, the re- the reason I rank it this, it's not because, um, it's not because as a whole, like. We're used to reading novels, right? The yeah. entire thing holding together. And here we get some vignettes. It's not that there aren't some slow parts for me or parts I didn't like, but I feel as a whole, like this fleshes out, gives me an, a deeper understanding and appreciation of what Frank Herbert did and the process it took to get there, um, the early invocations of it. And uh, the short stories help flesh out the world and. Let me revisit some of the places that um, I loved along the way and some of the people that I knew along the way. And and so I can't fault it for that. It's not a five-star by any means, but it's a good story. And if you're going to call yourself a solid Dune fan, I think this has to be part of your... This has to be... No, it has to be part of your repertoire. It's not to not say... I mean, you guys have read it. You guys have read it, so you can't... I mean, I'm not dissing you guys, but I'm going to say that (laughs) that if you're going to say you're a Dune fan, you guys, you got to give Spice World a a chance, right? Yeah. You know, spoken like a true English major. Yeah. You also have to give Spice Planet a chance, not yes. just the movie Spice yeah, World. Yeah, Spice World, Spice, Spice Planet. Yeah, yeah. You got to yeah. give the Spice Girls a chance. Come on. I mean, there's Jessica, there's Dorothy Mapes. You got to give them all a chance, yo. <laughs> but no, no I, I, so well, that, that's, see, that's, that's where I'm at with it. Now, my 2.5 rating is, I'm not saying the book is bad. I'm just not saying it's good. Right. You know, it, it's Wish just there. It. Yeah, I could have, I could have lived without it. Right, I could not get Roland to read this book. Not that I tried very hard, but I was like, "Oh, what are you?" He's like, "I'm just not going to read it." And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Nope." You mean our own Mentat wouldn't even read it? I know he wouldn't even take this book of knowledge and put it into his brain. Well, he's not Uh-oh. a true fan. <laughs> Tell him I said. That. I hope he hears it. Yeah, he better hear it. See, he's not yeah. even in the chat room. He hates it so That's much. That's because he didn't even read it. Yeah, he didn't Why read it. Why would he be here? Yeah, he would. Yeah, right yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So. <laughs> oh, man. So, next book we're going to read is a little bit off the beaten path. And it's National Lampoon's Doom. Dune. D-O-O-N. Dune. Really? Oh, yeah. Do- was Dome? Oh, Doom? I don't know. I have it right somewhere. There. I don't even where I have it anymore. Here it is right here. However, you pronounce D O N. Dune. 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 Yeah. So I have never read this. I have never read it. I, neither have I, but I can't wait. I've thumbed through it and looked at little passages here and there and just started breaking up the very <laughs> hard charging. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> My prediction is this will be fun. Yep, absolutely. It may grow old yeah. at some points, but I think it'll be fun. It's not very yeah. long. Uh, so grab yourself a copy of Dune. They're out there. Or National Lampoon's Dune. Yeah. And, uh, and join you, us. you can get it fairly cheap. It yeah. It's not that expensive to get. I yeah. Amazon. The, um, when are we doing uh, Dreamer of Dune? Is we'll, that the next we'll one? We'll do Dreamer of Dune after National And Lampoon's. then we're going to get back into the novels? At that point, we'll jump back into the school books. Yeah. Uh, the school series of books. And hopefully, yeah. by the time we're done that, Navigators. Navigators will be out. Well, they're in the final drafts of it, so. Yeah, so hopefully, I mean, you don't know how long it takes to print things, but we'll see. All right. So, uh, let's just go over. We also do a listener feedback show. 
Yep. Uh, which you can listen to and hear about what everyone uh, listening to the show thinks about Dune, whether it be this book or books in large. Um, we'd love to hear what you think about National Lampoon's Dune as well. And you can do that by emailing your thoughts to dunesockapodcast at gmail.com or call the voicemail at... You can call the voicemail and let us know about how much you enjoyed Spice Planet at one two six zero five seven seven chat one two six zero five seven seven two four two eight. Come on, I need a lot of supporters calling in. Come on, because I am in the minority here. <laughs> so you can also Jeez. hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Dune Saga Podcast, Twitter at Dune Saga Podcast, and join the conversation there. Um, Jeez, it sounds like sounds like he's running for president or something. I know. What is it? And next he's going to break out his Trump voice and we're going to be good. I know. No, I I'm talking good. about you, Scott. Sound like Me? you're running for president. I'm not running anywhere. I'm just trying to get people to... I'm doing my English teacher persona. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you can visit the hub for everything Dune Saga Podcast at dunesagapodcast.com for all these great things. Thanks, everyone, who's been part of our Patreon campaign. This is patreon.com slash dunesagapodcast. So... That's about it. For the the Dune Saga Podcast, I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And may Shai Hulud clear the path before you.